the historic bells of Albany City Hall. Welcome to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. And welcome to this episode of Albany Street. I'm Brian Cady, your host. Glad to have you with us. And joining me is a very special guest that uh, we've been trying to have on here for about a couple of months. And finally, our schedules didn't conflict, whether I was sick or this, that, and the other thing. It's all good now because joining me, uh, it's a, a very special day. We have the 10th Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany, the one and only Bishop Edward Scharfenberger. Bishop, thank you very much for coming in studio and uh, glad to see you here. How are you? Thank you, Brian. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you and to all of our listeners. Very happy to be here today. I'm glad we we're able to get this together finally. Absolutely. And first things first, I just want to get into, because I'm not sure if people truly understand and grasp the journey that led you to where you are, because people just got so used at one point to the fact that it was, you know, that we had a bishop for over 30 years at one point before you were installed. And it was like, oh, wow, I almost forgot that he had been there for so long. And now we have Bishop Scharfenberger. But when you when you when you look back at your, your time span, talk about what that journey was like that led you to becoming the Bishop of the Diocese of Albany? Sure, good question. Uh, first of all, I never expected to be Bishop of the Diocese of Albany, or for that matter, any diocese, to tell you the truth. Uh, just the brief story is is um, I was born and raised within a Catholic family. My mother and father were both uh, practicing Catholics. I'm the oldest of five children. And uh, we grew up in a very, uh, I think, it, well, now it's become very multi-ethnic, but it was basically an Irish, German, Italian neighborhood down in Brooklyn. And if you haven't noticed my Brooklyn accent yet, they say I'm getting a little better at it, but uh, but I was raised in Brooklyn and uh, went to Catholic school. I had the Sisters of Notre Dame to no more. And uh, I went to... Uh, I suppose when I was moving into my teenage years, I might have gotten the idea in my head that I might be interested in priesthood. Actually, I'd been an altar boy, you know, as was not uncommon in those days. And uh, But I actually wanted to be a pilot originally, uh, an airline pilot. But uh, I did not at the time have 20-20 vision uncorrected, so I learned that that was not probably going to happen. And I remember one day um, asking a priest, a parish priest who I admired very much, you know, how do you become a priest? And he told me, you know, uh, I should apply for cathedral prep, which was a preparatory seminary. It was a day hop. And I went there, eventually went on to college, uh, Cathedral College in Douglaston, and, um, which still exists as an entity. And uh, I was blessed to be invited to go to North American College in Rome between the years of 1969 and 1973. So that kind of expanded my horizons in that I got a sense of seeing the church through people from all over the United States and also the being actually in Rome itself, you know, in that culture, the Italian culture. And so that was a part of my, my history. But my interest was in being a parish priest, as it still is. And by parish priest, I mean doing what parish priests do, being present to people, presiding at the sacraments, uh, uh, walking with them in faith, uh, uh, helping them to grow, listening to their stories. Everybody's got a story. And when, one of the things I most love to do is to uh, accompany people, listen to them. You know, what, what's your, what, where are you in your journey of faith? And my conviction that the Lord meets us wherever we're at, you know, so it's more about uh, meeting people where they are and walking with them. And I believe that's when God shows up. 
So that's what I've always wanted to do. Now, as I went on in life, I did uh, do some further studies in, in moral theology, ethics, basically, in, in church law. So I spent a lot of my life working, uh, in addition to being a parish priest, working with people in troubled marriage situations. So I uh, was with the, what we call the diocesan tribunal. Uh, I know some of our listeners may be familiar with that. But uh, but the, the, the call to be a bishop, I was... I guess uh, approaching 65 or just around that. I'm approaching 75 now. But I I got a call one day when I was visiting my parents uh, who had lived in Orange County in Warwick. And it was from a priest at the uh, Papal Nuncio, the mission in Washington. That's the Vatican mission in Washington. It was a priest actually from the Brooklyn Diocese. And uh, I hadn't spoken with him in years. So he calls me and he says, uh, he says, hey, Eddie, how you doing? You know, and uh, he has some real Brooklyn accent, you know. And uh, I said, fine. I didn't know what that was about. And we did small talk for a while. And then finally he says to me, well, in a little while, a priest is going to call you. And I saying to myself, I'm wondering what that's about. You know, did I do anything wrong or am I in trouble or, you know. So I associated his number, uh, the, the, the 202 number, with his name. We said goodbye. And then about 15 minutes later, number shows up again. And I thought it was him again, you know, because his name is there now that I associated with the number. So I said something really lame like, you know, we just talk what the hell you want to talk about now. Didn't we just chat, you know, Brooklyn talk, you know. And uh, so uh, he instead I hear uh, the voice of a man I recognized instantly. Is this Monsignor Edward Scharfenberger? And I knew it was Archbishop Vigano, who was the nuncio at the time. And uh, I said, yes, yes, Archbishop. I, I, Archbishop. And he said, I have very good news for you. Pope Francis has appointed you to be the Bishop of, of Albany. And I don't know if I heard anything else after that, because I was just so shell-shocked in a way. And he says, it's a very important diocese. And so that was the story. That's how that started. And, uh, and he told me, you know, we'll announce it in a week. And Bishop DiMarzio, who was the Bishop of Brooklyn, my bishop, would call me. And then Bishop Hubbard, who was the that present Bishop of Albany, would call. And I remember the first thing when I hung up the phone and Bishop DiMarzio calls me, he said, hi, Ed, how you doing? Well, congratulations. You can call me Nick now. Because nobody called, you know, everybody called Bishop Hubbard Howard. Bishop uh, DiMarzio would, was always Bishop DiMarzio. Wonderful guy, though, I have to say. I had no idea that he actually was probably responsible more than anybody else for putting my name forward because the bishops of New York State would meet periodically and surface names. So I must have been on some list. And eventually, uh, I guess they eliminated everybody else, and I I was next. <laughs> you survived the, the, the pecking order, basically. Oh, I <laughs> guess so. You know, I guess so. But it was, it was a surprise. And uh, my fear was that I would not be able to be a parish priest anymore, because as you might imagine, a bishop is kind of like a CEO, COO, and you have a lot of administrative responsibilities. But I have to say I'm blessed with a wonderful staff. In fact, you probably met one of them, Kathy, Kathy Barron's our communications director. And uh, so we we work as a team. And I still do. The, the basic part of my ministry really is being with people, visiting parishes, celebrating the sacraments. And, uh, uh, and that's what I do. And even even being on the radio is an opportunity for me to reach out and to talk about my love for the pastoral work that I do. Absolutely. And what's intriguing is that you mentioned how you, you, you thoroughly enjoy, you know, the, the parish priest part 
Absolutely. of being a bishop and, and yeah. celebrating the sacraments. And what I think gets lost on some people is the immense reach of the diocese, because we're talking mm. 14 counties, mm. we're talking over 10,000 square miles. Right. Almost as big as Massachusetts. That's going to be a heck of a gas bill. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's interesting. Yes. I don't mind driving. I do my own driving. You know, initially when I first got here, the, the good deacons, you know, offered to drive me to confirmations all over the diocese. But, but you're right, though. We have 125 parishes. And one of the first things I discovered was Albany is essentially a rural diocese that in those 10,000 square miles, you know, uh, and uh, one of the challenges was, you know, some folks said to me, you know, we're, we're a little too Albany centric, you know, city centric. And so I, I try to get out as much as possible. Uh, we have uh, seven, uh, we have re- divided the diocese up into regions, into seven regions. We call them vicariates. Over everyone is another priest that is sort of my uh, delegate, vicar actually, my vicar, so that we have a little bit of somebody, a uh, pastoral presence that people can go to if I'm not always able to be there personally. But yes, it's 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 extensive and it does it. I don't mind the driving though, because I, you know, it gives me an opportunity to pray and sometimes I'll put music on and it's relaxing, you know, frankly. See, I was reading up on uh, some stuff on the, the diocese since mm. it's been a while since I've spoken to anybody from the diocese. Yeah. And I, I remember seeing that about the vicarates and I'm, now that you explain it, just makes so much sense yeah like it's just very sensible it's like uh it's like having uh like obviously like when you think of like a military for example yeah like you have a general yeah but you obviously have a bunch of like uh of lieutenants yeah that yeah. that help yeah. you know maintain the peace yeah. yeah and then if need be they go to the yeah. general for the, for no, like right. the final decision yeah. that just it, it makes a ton of sense well, when you break it, it down you know like it's that. funny because a lot of times when people think of the church they think of this sort of like monolithic multinational corporation that's all controlled from the Vatican, you know, and so forth. And the truth of the matter is we're like uh, almost like concentric circles and there's different levels of responsibility. So we have, as I mentioned, about 125 parishes. Uh, we're also trying to, since you brought up the idea of, you know, sub the regions there, what we're trying to do is, you know, a lot of times parishes have challenges and there are quite, uh, they don't have the resources to be able to do all this. So what I'm trying to do is encouraging parishes to work with one another, like what we're calling uh, sort of like networks of parishes. So not closing them, not not, uh, but actually ask, uh, inviting them to work with one another and to see maybe there are some things they can do together. Maybe three or four parishes don't need to have a, a business manager for every parish. Maybe one, you know, there are people that run two or three stewards, you know, and, and right. at the same time. So to learn from you know, from from what in the secular world is done in order to organize and 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 and, and uh, economically and and resources better. So you know, to form like little families of parishes, kind of like f- like franchising. In yes, a way. something like that. They do yeah, that in the business like world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or like blended families. You yeah, know? like I remember because um, I-, I was part of St. James Parish when it was still around mm-hmm. on Delaware Avenue, mm-hmm. and I know that sure. part of my time there. Very historical area, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. very. <laughs> And uh, yeah. I remember part of my time when I was there with uh, growing up mm-hmm. eventually was the merger with, it was going to be with cathedrals, St. Saint, uh, Saint John, St. Anne's. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say originally, they, memory. Yeah. I believe there was one more parish involved originally and then mm-hmm. it might have been St. Teresa's and then it ended up being St. Teresa's going with St. Catherine's is mm-hmm. what happened, I believe. That sounds correctly. right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I remember that being part of towards the end of when I w- was going there regularly. And yeah, that's that was like a, a whole 
because at the time it was still a very fresh concept in oh, the yeah. diocese because yeah. yeah. um, it was about adopting with the times and figuring out, okay, what building is going to be kept open as far, not just necessarily church buildings, but as far as like actual office buildings, oh, sure. Sure. Um, like I know St. John's, St. Anne's, they had their, uh, their, their soup kitchen outreach that's down that's there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then figuring out, okay, do we really need all these masses? If not, is there a way to right. balance the mass schedule and this, that, and the other yeah, thing? Particularly it's, if you have two parishes that are like five blocks apart, right. having the same mass at the same time, it's, you know? It's not it, sensical, it basically. Make, yeah, yeah. So I remember like eventually they went down to to, I believe it was, they kept the four at St. James. Mm-hmm. They, I think they went to like a nine at St. John's, St. Anne's, mm-hmm. a 1030 mm-hmm. at St. James. Mm-hmm. And I I think at the time they kept the night mass for a little while before. Mm. Well, that's what we do. Like, and, and the thing is, we if we talk to people, say, look, you know, find out. Because sometimes if it's a, if it's a, if an, uh, I, I don't know if you could describe it as an aging community, sometimes people don't want to come out at night. Or at least uh, when it's dark, you know, so you, you adapt to what the needs of the people are. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back more from Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the 10th Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany, this is Albany Street. The historic bells of Albany City Hall return us to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. And welcome back to Albany Street here as part of the Albany Broadcasting Family Networks. And, uh, of course, you can catch this interview and all past interviews since my time of taking over Albany Street on B95.com backslash Albany dash street. Catch all the past episodes, including uh, this episode in uh, a few hours uh, with Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, the 10th Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany. And so, and you mentioned real quick, people's thought process of how the church works uh, yeah. as far as like the, a business pyramid scheme per se. Mm-hmm. I know this might be a very over-the-top example. A Pope Francis isn't sitting in Vatican City making a decision for uh, St. Francis of Assisi Correct. in Albany. He's, he's going to make, when he makes a decision, it's going to involve the entirety of the community and not just focus on one specific parish or, mm. I mean, unless it's, it's something like a very drastic thing, but yeah. even that's like, yeah. that's like a one in a billion. I thing. guess the, a good way to describe it is that, you know, the role of leadership is primarily visioning. In other words, looking at the larger picture, setting what are our major goals, where, where, where are we heading uh, and to try to inspire good leadership. But there are different, obviously, different concepts of leadership. But my concept of leadership, I see, is to try to bring the best out in people and to encourage people to develop and use their talents in a way that works together. You know, so not everybody is is skilled in finances. So you try to uh, to identify those people that have that uh, that skills. Not everybody is skilled in management and organization. So you try to identify those talents. And then there's numerous, numerous pastoral roles. Like in any given parish, you're going to have people that are involved in all sorts of ministries: ministries to the homeless, ministries to the to the uh, to to survivors of sexual abuse, for example. We have a hope and healing ministry now that we try to reach people that have been wounded by in, in the course of life. And uh, and then there's people that work uh, specifically with uh, education, for example, of, and, and at, at different levels, you know, of, of, of preschool, school, uh, high school, middle school, adult education, uh, ministry to people in nursing homes or people that are in any way isolated, that are not at home. 
So there's any number of ministries that go on in typical parishes, and that is all done on a local level. It's person to person. You know, I remember Mother Teresa that everybody respects as a saintly person. When she came to, uh, to Calcutta, somebody posed the question, how are you going to possibly reach all of these people, these teeming masses of people, the poor, you know, the sick? Uh, and she said, one person at a time. And she always tried to inculcate that sense. And I, what I try to do is encourage everybody to see that God has a mission for each and every one of us. What can I do to be uh, a good friend to my neighbors, to those in my circle? And uh, it's, you know, we all have our, our circles of concern. And sometimes that goes all over the world, you know. But then we have our circles of influence. And I always say, let's concentrate on our circle of influence where we can most be of help to the people that we meet on a day-to-day basis. Now, when you address concern, I mean, that that's part of the equation, I would say, with certain things, uh, certain parts of how people look at the diocese as far as the last 15, 20 years, just because, mm-hmm. you know, they see schools shutting down, they see parishes merging, and I feel like some of it has to do with people not understanding the business side of things along mm. with, you know, obviously, a, you know, trying to serve your faithful and all of that. But when you look at the way things are going right now, as far as how things have gone since you've taken over, as far as like, for example, Catholic Central, I believe they're merging with St. Ambrose, I believe at some point mm-hmm, in your future. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is the repurposing of resources, I yeah. would say, from closed schools and churches. Yeah. Like I know, for example, the old St. James School, that got repurposed yeah. into a daycare, yeah. which I think is amazing for the, the people yeah. at Albany Med. Yeah. Is that something you'd like to see more of oh, down sure. the road, oh, is the repurposing which, of those abs- buildings? No, absolutely. We're seeing this everywhere. I mean, uh, we know more and more. We, we learned through the pandemic, right, mm-hmm. that uh, we, we had to learn that uh, because we weren't able to associate to, to gather in, in places, you know, when it spread, spread the virus, that we uh, learned a lot uh, the value of technology, of Zoom, for example. Now, we're a little tired of Zooming, I know, and we know it has its downside, but thank God we have the technology to do that. And today, you know, we know that office hours have become much more flexible, and there are many people that work from home. Or for that matter, even from place that isn't a home. I mean, uh, even when I travel, you know, I always say to my staff, I'm always available. You know, you can always call me. I'm always available to Zoom in, to do a, a phone call, to do a FaceTime or anything like that. So here's the point. How do we connect best? And uh, sometimes we find that uh, making appointments in offices is not always the best way to connect. Sometimes we have we meet people where they're at, you know, like I'll go out and visit people, you know, in, uh, in other parts of the diocese other than the office where I have a desk and I have a computer. But uh, so, yes, it does make more sense. And do we need uh, the realty that we used to have in the past? You know, do we need to have an office building to do office work? You know, and the same thing is true with the church. We, you know, basically, yes, we do need uh, a certain amount of, let's just say, uh, some foundation upon which to be able to say this is an address. This is where you send your email to. This is where we can meet if we need to have a meeting. Mm. But uh, we don't necessarily need to have all of the uh, uh, of the realty that we would have in the past. And we're actually not our, every parish uh, has uh, some meeting space or, or some sort of a church building where people can gather. But sometimes we find that people can share the resources. You don't need to have, uh, every parish doesn't need to have a school. You can right. combine uh, the educational resources. Right, like would it be, would it be nice to, if, if the numbers reflected it properly, would it be nice? Yes. But is it completely necessary if mm-hmm. the numbers don't reflect it? Mm-hmm. 
know. So mm-hmm. it, right. it's 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 purely a numbers perspective, and I feel like that sometimes gets lost. Real quick though, before I, I wrap this up, you did mention Zoom, and I feel like that's yes. something, not necessarily just Zoom, but I feel like that's just an example of the potential for the church at large. Um, not necessarily just specifically the diocese, but the church at large. There's there's various ways I feel like the church is looking to modernize in a way. For lack of a better phrase, get with the times and is is the the most direct way for me to say that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's getting there? Do you feel like the pandemic maybe kind of, for lack of a better phrase, forced the issue in a way for that to happen? Is there any talk of, I don't know, just in general, just maybe other ways of using technology to help partner into what is done from parishes at, at that level. Yeah, so well, you know, there's so many things we're very we're blessed to be able to live in times in which there's been great technological advances, uh, advances in information sharing, the capacity to do that, in communications potential, uh certainly in in, in medical uh, areas, uh, you know, we we're very blessed to live in these times. So it's uh, I think that you know, it's interesting the church has always basically done this. Even the, you know, even the organization of the of the church into dioceses and parishes. Actually, it was a Roman means of organization. The emperor Diocletian uh, had organized the uh, the uh, the empire into parishes and dioceses. I've I've heard it said that the church bought the Holy Roman Empire in a going out of business sale. Our law, church law, is like ninety percent Roman law. So it's been something that the church has always done. In other words, engage to the culture, find out what is what is good in that culture. And if that is helpful for us to spread the gospel, we'll use it, you know? So c- communication is one area that we've been focusing on right here. But uh, but there are other ways as well to any, any way in which we can reach people where they are, where they live, we're interested in. And, uh, and certainly uh, uh, technology and... and uh, and communication has helped us to to reach more people. Like during the COVID, for example, we televised a number of masses, so people that couldn't physically be in the church were able to to watch on TV. And I know many parishes, if not most, will televise at least one Sunday mass. You know, I just right. I remember um, yeah. my father's uh, church. I think it was Christ the King mm-hmm. in, in Guildland. I mm-hmm. think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were they were they sure. were very good about broadcasting Absolutely, their weekly yeah. masses. Yeah, absolutely too. Another thing that we've been doing too is that uh, now that we are able to get together more, and Pope Francis has been promoting this this concept of synodality, trying to encourage people to come together and to listen to one another. And you know, you mentioned uh, uh, hearing from people what they're what's happening in their lives, what they hope the church can be, what they what their really needs are. And there's a tremendous hunger now that the culture doesn't always meet. There's a hunger for friendship. There's a hunger for honest relationships. There's a hunger for truth because there's a lot of confusion, you know, even identity issues that come up all the time. And and, and I think it's important that we hear people, that we listen, you know. So the way I sometimes put it this way, the teaching church, it's important that we teach what we believe, but we also have to be the learning church, that we listen and learn from what we hear and that we work together. It's a collaborative sort of process. And I just, I, you keep seeing stuff that just amazes me because I guess I never really thought of it that way as far as the uh, the, the buying the Roman Empire on a go, <laughs> going because the, yes right because because when you really do think about it like it's you, you go back to and sorry this is this is the nerd of me from 15 years ago coming out here <laughs> but you go you go back to the, the the times of 
you know, uh, right around Jesus, because the the main opponent was the Roman Empire, mm. and then as the church was developing in those early times and and spreading the word and spreading the church, mm. it was eventually winning over the Roman Empire and having one of their emperors accept the Catholic Church as his faith. Constantine, that, yeah, the that Pox, yeah. yeah, that yeah. ultimately led to that right. whole weird combining of contrarian worlds. Well, it, le- it wasn't illegal to be a Christian anymore. That's what uh, right. that's what he basically said, that it's okay. And, you know, uh, that was a development. It's true, because uh, many times what happens is, is that sometimes people in positions of authority see uh, the church as something that questions their authority, which we don't do. You know, uh, we we accept that there's legitimate authority in, in civil officials, and uh, certainly we prefer a, that type of authority, which allows everybody to participate, you know, more democratic forms of government. And that'll do it for this edition of Albany Street. If you missed any of this show, don't forget you can check it out as soon as tomorrow on B95.com slash Albany street. And this conversation will continue into next week. You can check it out on all the Albany Broadcasting family of networks next Sunday with part B of this conversation between me and Bishop Edward Scharfenberger. Again, want to thank the bishop for coming in and check us out next week for part two of this conversation right here on Albany Street. The historic bells of Albany City Hall close out another edition of Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. This program, pre-recorded.